Happy Friday, y'all. I'm so excited for the weekend because it means time off, uh, relaxation, activity, and a down to brown episode. So I hope all of this is in your future. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it does feel like suddenly the world just resumed, at least in the U.S. And of course, this is because of the progress and we've struggled a lot the last year plus. Um, But socializing is weird. Um, I feel like after 30 minutes with people that I'm not really like super close to, I lose the like capacity to register English in my brain. And I just start like drifting off because I'm so not used to socializing at this level anymore. (laughs) So um, if you are in the same camp, holler, because maybe we can form a socially awkward post-pandemic group and work on this. But um, I will acknowledge that other countries or places, even within the U.S., are not at the same um, level yet. And so um, still praying and sending our support and love um, and however much we can support resources-wise to those situations. Today, we are talking to a fantastic woman. Like, I am so excited to introduce you all to Roz Kaur. I first met Roz through Instagram. She reached out to me a few episodes into season one and said that she really liked the podcast. And I was so honored because, first of all, anyone who is not my mom listening to this, I'm like, oh my God, that's so kind of you. But also because she's hella legit. Like, please look at her page. She is goals, y'all. No matter what age you are, like we should aspire to be as confident, um, have our energy and personality radiate through a photograph that way. Her style is impeccable. And even if it's not yours, the way she mixes things together and just pulls it in a way that reflects her true self is really amazing. And I was really inspired by her page. And I thought about why, in addition, you know, to her being a badass brown woman, I found it really inspiring to see a South Asian woman that is older than 50 living her best life like this. Usually we see South Asian women age and get into a persona that we all know, which is the auntie persona. And sometimes this gets a bad rap, too. Um, Of course, we all have aunties, too, who are hella toxic and also um, very difficult to be around. But we also have amazing women who are aunties, who are very kind, very successful, very inspiring, and have played huge roles in our lives and helping us grow and develop and look up to someone. We also have our mom figures. But I don't see a lot of independent 50-plus-year-old super stylish, like pursuit a career like fashion type of person. And if you have, please, please share because it would be so cool to learn about more figures like this. But Roz herself didn't see this represented. And that's why she created her page. And I really appreciate what she's doing because to me, she's normalizing what it's like to be South Asian and brown and mature. That being said, today we have a really great conversation ahead, and the first 15 minutes are a lot of setting the context of who Roz is, how, where in the South Asian experience she identifies with, how she became inspired to do the work she is doing today, and owning Desi style, which can sometimes be 
difficult in a land like America where you want to blend in, especially in our assimilation phases. Um, And then we transition into crediting cultures, um, global cultures for fashion, and especially in a place like anthropology where these types of controversial topics come up a lot. We conclude by talking about aging for South Asian women and then also what true style is. Also, just minor disclaimer, I had a cold during this recording, so I am sorry I sound quite nasally, but maybe it's kind of like in a sexy way. Um, You tell me, boo. Uh, All right, let's get to it. Hi, Roz. Welcome to Down to Brown. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. So excited to have you here. Fun fact, you were one of the first people who reached out to me when the podcast released to kind of talk about it. And I remember being like, to my fiance, like, oh my gosh, someone likes this. Someone listens. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that. You're welcome. So that being said, um, I'd love to go ahead and dive in. I know we're here to talk about all the things global fashion and style and also your unique identity. Um, And that's something that I'd love to ground us in with. Where in the South Asian experience do you identify with? So I like to call myself a diasporic hybrid. I was born in India and I moved to the United States 30 years ago. I was born... um, in a town called Chandigarh and, um, you know, growing up in the foothills of the Himalayas in India, I went to a British convent um, studying English literature from Irish and Nepalese nuns. I had a very swanky school uniform. I wore a blue blazer, a gray pleated skirt, and I got to wear colored clothes only a couple of times a year. Uh, I believe that's uh, when my love for fashion started. The idea of wearing colored clothes sounded so delicious. And also growing up in a culture where fashion was highly, um, was not highly valued, I would say. I always had my nose in magazines and looking to what everyone around was wearing. Um, uh, later, I went um, uh, off to earn a bachelor's degree in fashion, and soon after that, I moved to the United States. And even th- though I've completely um, assimilated myself to this culture, my hybrid habit is, is legible in everything I do and how I, you know, dress and what um, and how I speak, my accent. My daughter is always like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, correcting my accent, um, you know, how I enjoy all kinds of foods, you know, from pastas to there are days like I'm craving right now, honestly, I'm craving some like really greasy curry. And, you know, also um, um, the fact that I've been so fortunate and I hope, you know, we go back to traveling back and forth between two worlds. Um, I just feel I've had the best of both world um, uh, scenario, and that's my identity, and um, I'm super comfortable with it now. I think it's so interesting that many of us, at least, there's a period of time where we reject and then spend time with ourselves to embrace this other piece that we are trying to become, and then we realize, and there's like a sort of neutrality that eventually, like, 
it levels out and we are able to embrace both. And I think um, all of us, you know, of course, depending on whether you immigrated or you were first generation, I think we go through it at different points in our lives. For you, what age was that where you started to see that you were coming back to some of your Indian roots too? Well, I would say, um, you know, more like the midlife. Once I turned uh, 40, I started to get very comfortable in my skin. Um, and also, um, you know, I, I feel um, the whole, there was also a culture shift. It was like, you know, people were getting into yoga. People, every time my friends came over and, you know, I'd, I'd make pasta or I'd do a platter or um, a charcuterie board, they'd be more like, you know, can you serve a chai? Can you make pakoras? <laughs> and, and the more um, I saw that people loved to learn about my culture, mm-hmm. the more I started to feel comfortable and, um, um, you know, that's, that's when I was like, you know what, from now on, when I have friends over, I'm going to make Indian food. When I go, um, to a Western wedding, maybe I'm going to wear a sari. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started to get really comfortable. The more, uh, and I, I saw the more I did it, the more I was appreciated and, you know, the more people were like, oh, my God, do you know Roz? She's actually an Indian. And she, you know, she was in this beautiful <laughs> Indian sari. And I was like, you know what? From now on, that's what I'm going Embrace to wear. It. So, yes. Yeah. Totally. It almost reminds me of like in dating, we talk about different attachment styles where you can be oh. anxious, avoidant, <sighs> secure. Right. And I feel like it also sometimes like lightly applies to identity like this, where like there's a period of time where I'm very anxious. So I like completely embrace yeah. the like American side. I was avoidant. I completely rejected one, you know, and then like there comes a p- time where you gradually aim for security, where you just feel secure with it. So this brings me to why we're here today, which, um, you know, I found you through Instagram, as I mentioned earlier, and I fell in love with your platform. I think it's such a beautiful portrayal of what you described with our identities. And in particular, I know you're known for fashion and that's your focus and that's what we're going to get into. But I also creep on the background, which is your home, which is so beautifully decorated and also consistently shows what we're talking about of capturing the Indianness and Americanness so well. So that being said, aside from my creeping attitude, um, what about your fashion? (laughs) So, you know, fashion is not exactly the type of career a lot of us grew up with being encouraged to do. Um, you know, when I even brought up, brought up home design with my parents, they're like, yeah, like you can do that on this side though. So mm-hmm. how did you find yourself on this path? You know, um, ever since I can remember, I was always like dressing my dolls up in clothes. I was attracted to anything that had to do with bling and, you know, glitter. And, you know, I loved like prancing around the house wearing my mom's high heels. And, I love it. You know, but most of all, I would say, um, you know, I had this aunt of mine. Um, she was so chic, lived in London, but every summer she would come 
come and spend um you know her um her summer with us while we were living up in in uh, while we were living in india and when i was a little girl growing up my mom who was very creative but she did not care much about fashion my mom was an artist and um, my aunt on the other hand she seemed so fun and glamorous to me you know she wore bright red lipstick and high heels mm. and you know um she would always take me um to the bazaars with her and you know we would buy silk fabric and we would come home and you know she'd be like hold the fabric from one side she would ask me to hold it so she would make this really clean cut and then she would make these little you know little uh neckerchiefs that she would tie around in her neck i mean you know all that fashion it's so nostalgic to me it's all coming back like this was the 70s and this fashion it's like is having such a moment now the 70s they're yeah. all back you know she had these fabulous caftans and metallic ponchos and um, tunics and she wore tons and tons of like jewelry and chokers and she let me try it on all her clothes she painted my nails all the time and you know that's sense of fun the fun of fashion how it made me feel it began um i think just in my childhood years with her and um you know my my parents um saw that this is what i want to do and i, I mean you know my parents were never the ones to say don't do this or do this or do they just let me follow my passion mm, and i'm that is so so, so thankful for that yes that's super lucky and it's yes. so interesting to see the impact your aunt had because i think like imagining yes. that type of loudness with clothing and makeup like for especially at least i'll speak to my experience like i haven't uh -huh. seen that a lot in the women that i grew up with in india and mm -hmm. um there's sort of this like underlying like subtlety that you're supposed to be right like too loud is not that positive and so that's something that i started embracing as i was getting older like being really bold and even if it doesn't look quote attractive by that soft means like let's say blue eyeshadow or or something right? right but it's just something that you feel powerful in you're expressing yourself and so I think it's so profound that you had an aunt that was able to show that to you so early on because I think like for some of us in our culture we are told to seem more soft on the eyes right um so I love that you had that influence and I think speaking of which that's why today I I don't care. I dress yes. how I want. <laughs> It reflects my mood. If I'm in a mood to wear, you know, a bright colorful dress and wear red lipstick, I'll do that. But then there are days when I'm like, "Eh, you know, I'll just throw on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt." But still, I I'm all about layers. I love to throw on my pearls with like, you know, a dingy t-shirt and just my Converse and, you know, my dress, distressed jeans. I love I I don't know. I love fashion. Yes, <laughs> you know, all things it. fashion. And you're right, <laughs> exactly. like especially going back to India when you go into yes. the shops, you're like Oh my god, we're rich with that type of material like both yes. you know soft and subtle but also like loud prints, jazzy prints, shiny like totally. it's so rich but um yeah. and that's what we see usually like 
coming back, we'll see these in stores and be like, wow, I even saw this type of print in like the textile shop in India. And I just don't know what to do with it, though. When I see it, I'm like, wow, I see all the elements. But, you know, when I'm in India, I don't really know enough to like bring it to life and bring it back with me. Um, And so I can only imagine how much fun it is for someone like you to like know how to use it and then go back and see all these things. So do you do that a lot where you go back to India and shop or bring back fashion? Oh, definitely. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like scarves, you know, even the even just the pashminas. Um, I just love all the earthy colors. And now mm-hmm. India, I mean, right now there is so much beautiful product that's coming from India. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just into collecting a lot of the beautiful pashmina shawls and, um, you know, the chicken curry, which is the, you know, the, um, the the kurtas, you know, the white on white embroidery. Mm. Some of that work is so intricate. In fact, I just wore that the other day um, for um, a graduation party and everybody was just like going ooh and ah over it. And I wore lots of, um, you know, Indian jewelry. And uh, there's so much. And we still have, you know, tailors and seamstresses. And you really can get anything made that you want. Yeah, I've always been envious of people who can leverage that and know how to use that work because I'll just buy the fabric and be like, it's pretty and it'll just sit in my closet, you know? So, um, and I'm curious too, like how, especially because you had mentioned earlier when you started to own your identity, wear a sari to that party and people, you know, I imagine it's usually an American audience that's like, wow, it's so hot. Like that's an Indian sari. How do Indians respond to your work? And did you ever feel that there was, was it overall overwhelmingly positive? Did you ever see any kind of skepticism of making fashion your lifestyle and career? Oh my gosh, not at all. In fact, this party I went to, it was an Indian party. It was a Desi party. And I was the only person that was wearing like a kurta and a shalwar, you know, and there was nobody else. Everybody was in a dress and they were like, oh my God, we, we have this, we have this kind of a kurta, um, you know, we need to take it out and start wearing it. Um, uh, and like I, and I knew for a fact that nobody will be wearing Indian. So, you know, I wanted to wear Indian and I wanted to wear something different and uh, just um, uh, being the person I am. And, you know, I always w- want to look a little different and want to stand out. So um, I think um, uh, whether it's um, being a Daisy or American, um, they both um, appreciate it a lot. And, and again, going back to I'm so proud of my Indian heritage and my culture and the influence it's had on my style in so many um, ways, you know, from design to beauty to accessories, you know, just again, I, um, you know, I love, I have a love for color and print, but then I also love the, you know, um, the muslin um, and the chiffons and the pashminas, uh, the beautiful shawls. And uh, again, going back to my aunt, I remember her putting on, you know, lots of coal, um, in her eyes and loving the ritual and Mm. the process. And it really feels 
um, you know, it used to feel so special for me to watch them. And um, um, in fact, on um, when I went for this um, party, um, my daughter came home on Saturday and you, I, I just saw that she was watching me get ready. And, you know, it brought back so many memories and even the stories I love sharing um, you know, with my American friends and Indian friends alike, because um, a lot of the people, um, you know, uh, maybe um, they we all have different stories and that's what makes us unique and what makes us authentic. And yeah, we, yeah it's it was just it, it's just so fun. Totally. That's so special to be able to take that. Yes. And it sounds like fashion is your way of storytelling. And it's so special to have your daughter see what you watched your yes. aunt do and your mom do. And like, this is something that will be cyclically passed, right? A positive story. Um, and I think there's something to be said about watching a woman you love, like your mother or aunt get ready and like, see how mm -hmm. they come to life. Like they mean so much to you. They are so beautiful to you already. And for them to see how they adorn themselves essentially. So I really love that peace and moment that you've described. And so what is it like to be a stylist like that? I can't I can't even really fathom what that lifestyle would look like. So help us understand what is that experience like and career? And I imagine, you know, it's hard work. It looks so glamorous, right? We imagine Devil Wears Prada or something. But what's it like? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, as you know, you know, I'm currently our senior stylist for anthropology in Sacramento um, in Roseville here in California. And I've been a stylist um, for the past 27 years. I've done a lot of freelance styling as well. Um, and again, uh, you know, for me, it's a it's it's art. I consider styling an art form. My clothes, yeah. how I mix them up and experiment with them are in are basically an extension of who I am on the inside. I'm not into trends. I'm not, I'm into timeless pieces. Um, and I, you know, I always say that I'm not into quantity. I'm into quality and cost per wear. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, the article yesterday in who, what, where is all about, you know, and quality what's this article? quantity. So it's the eight pieces that I've cherished forever. And one of them being, um, you know, my mother's pearls was the first piece I wrote about. And, uh, you know, just timeless pieces that you should have in your wardrobe and that I've had in my wardrobe. And I don't think I'm ever getting, you know, rid of them. They're going to outlive me and I'm going to just pass them down to my daughter. And, um, wow. you know, uh, that being said, when I'm working, you know, I always start my day with an infectious excitement and just um, thinking of how much fun I'm going to have today connecting with every customer um, that um, walks through the door. Uh, but um, also, you know, you were asking me, what is the experience like? Um, uh, yes, people do have the idea that, um, you know, our stylists are always running around in high heels, you, you know, working at these high end stores. But really, I'm running around in sneakers and flats <laughs> all day at work. And um, and when I'm freelancing, which I still do, and, you know, styling photo shoots, I'm literally unpacking boxes. I'm working out of my car, you know, where like hopping from location to location, um, 
So I'm um, unpacking and repacking clothes. I mean, fashion can be hard and training for it can be very hard. But, you know, you have to keep going and you have to be very gracious and polite. And I constantly tell all the people um, who are in this industry that they're very lucky to be here because not many people get to do this. All in all, it's an extremely ambitious, rewarding, and at the same time, very exhausting (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine because mm-hmm. I think like when I look at even your pictures and um, it's not just about what the person's wearing. Yes. It's, you know, it's about where even just like their environment and like reflecting oh, yes. who they are. You can put something on someone and if it doesn't look like them, right, like there's an inauthenticity. So I feel like there's part like a psychological assessment of who that person is. There's the like environmental. What is that aesthetic supposed to be? So there's so much that and in, uh, in that way, it doesn't surprise me that you are also so good at home decorating or you mentioned like hosting and creating that experience for your friends is something that you love to do. And it, to me, it all seems like part of that. Like, how do you create a beautiful experience for people that reflects themselves? So I, I truly admire like the artistry that comes in your work. And one of the things, you know, I'm wondering, too, is like, how do you like what is the most rewarding styling project or shoot that you had to do in your career? Well, there have been so many, but you know, the one that comes to my mind is something that I just recently did where, you know, I took these American models and um, I actually, it was all my own jewelry that some of them it was passed down from my mom. I literally opened it all up and I took it on a shoot with me. And, um, you know, I put them in all these pieces that I had collected over the year that were handed down to me by some of them, by my grandma, my mom, my aunts, you know, um, that that was I think that was so much fun and it was just like you know just a treasure box when I was opening them there the models their jaws literally like hit the floor Mm -hmm. they were like oh my god and even I was like oh my god I had this oh my god I had that and you know it was so fun and also I'm like big on taking something out of its element and that's when you were talking about home decor too like I you know don't want my house to look like cost plus but how do you blend in contemporary modern or mid-century modern or you know how do you make it look boho chic instead of it looking like too tchotchke so that's when I just let my creative uh, juices flow and that's what I did with these girls you know for example on a beret I put a big earring or um I made a belt out of um a big kunda necklace and uh, because I want to see pictures of this I I'm going to show you yeah I can send them to you and one day um, one day when I have time and I (laughs) maybe write about it or something I mean these it, it it was amazing as much as um, uh, you know, it was so tiring and time consuming, yeah. uh, but the end results were just like, you know, when I was showing it to my friends and even 
to my coworkers, they were like, oh my God, Roz, this is so vogue. This should be in (laughs) vogue. Because it was also, Mm -hmm. yeah, very subtle. That's what, you know, that like I said, even in your house, it has to be just, you know, very, very subtle. Just little, you know, just nuggets here and there of who you are, of your identity, instead of just being so overpowering where it's like, oh my God, what is this? You know? Absolutely. And I mean, going back to that point we were making about, you know, you go through periods of time where you reject your, one of your identities, you might lean into the other. I think Indian looks, whether it was clothing that looked Indian or jewelry that is Indian, I would shy away from because it felt like so obviously Indian, like, which is also stupid when I think about it. I was like, I was trying to hide it as if someone couldn't tell by just looking at my brownness that I was Indian. But um, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, no, like I got to wear Abercrombie and like really subtle earrings and like things that are so like, I can't give it away. And now I'm in a phase where like, it's, becoming clear that like, this is not only gorgeous, but I've really shunned this, you know, denied myself. And in the end, who's lost is me. So I've been trying to lean back in to be able to, you know, just with a simple t-shirt and jeans, like wear some Indian jewelry and it gives so much beauty to it. If someone else wore it who was not Indian, I'd be like, wow, that's so gorgeous. But like, I used to feel so conscious, right? And I think a lot of us talk about like, we don't like to give away. And oh, what if we seem too fobby, you know, growing up? And one of my friends actually recently started a subscription box Indian jewelry um, business, and she's slowly growing it. But I remember when she sent me those pictures of the jewelry, I rem- I felt a little like, whoa, this is so strong from what I usually wear because it's so Indian. Yeah. And then I started to, of course, to support her. I bought a few that I thought were pretty. And I was like, wow, this actually works really well if I style it accordingly. I've just shied away from it. And if the same thing was sold in an anthropology, let's say I'd be like, wow, like, you know, this I buy it because it looks Indian. So it's sort of an interesting conundrum you create for yourself. Um, And speaking of you work at anthropology, which I have had, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. I will say like the company itself, not you working there, obviously. No, no, no. I know. (laughs) Um, So I'm curious, like what attracted you to anthropology and how has that been, that experience of being a senior stylist there? So, you know, I still remember it was, um, oh God, I want to say at least 20 years ago when I first walked into an anthropology, it was the one on 4th Street in Berkeley. Yes. And honestly, the minute I stepped foot in the door, to me, it was like a portal of discovery. It was a place I felt, you know, I could just lose myself and find myself and, um, you know, almost like a brush with what could be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever has been written about lately, um, you know, about the company, to me, this was the only store back then that celebrated diversity. I walked in the store and I felt literally like I was in a bazaar. You know, one corner of the store was like I was in a bazaar in India. One corner looked like I was in a Parisian cafe. And Mm. one corner, you know, the vineyards they, they create within the stores. Oh my gosh. I mean, 
I was blown away. And that's when I made up my mind that one day I do want to work for this company. Um, And once I started to work for them, I started to see that even the customer that comes into our store, she's a very creative minded woman. You know, she wants to look like herself, not like everybody else. Um, She has a sense of adventure about what she wears. And although fashion is important to her, she's too busy enjoying life to be governed by the least latest trends Mm. to her um too it's like a portal of discovery and you know as you know our product uh, consists of not only just apparels and accessories you know we have home we have furniture we have decor we have beauty which speaking of which we call it a wellness boutique um you know it's just not what just sephora carries or department store carries um it's like you know, feeling beautiful from the inside out. And each caters to the lifestyle of, um, uh, we have our five muses, uh, which is like girls that like the soft and the delicate, girls that like the boho chic. Mm. Um, Then there are some that like the easy, cool, the elegant, classy, the modern, sporty. So, I I mean, I, I, I don't think there's another store that's so happy. It's just a happy store. And again, I tell all the young people that work there that, you know, if you're not happy here, I don't think you'll be happy anywhere. You know, a product is constantly changing. Um, It's we're constantly moving stuff around. And um, um, it, it, when it comes to decor, they make something out of nothing. And that's uh, our visual merchandisers. I'm, I, I can't even start. I mean, whatever I say <laughs> yeah. will not be enough because they can make something out of nothing. Yeah. I love your passion for it. And yes. you really did provide a perspective that I haven't yes. considered before, which is, you know, back in the day, I agree with you. I don't think there was any other place that made me feel seen and that there yes. were there were clothes that you're like, oh, this is stuff that I might even wear. Like literally sometimes I'm like, is this just a kurta? Like because yeah. I would wear this at home. Right. So yes. um, that has been different. Maybe it's more that like now modern day as I fast forward and what we know now about you know, the fashion world is where I I wonder the questions come, right? Because back then I was like, well, great. Like this, this is actually a place that sort of has a global lens next to the gaps and, you know, Macy's and stuff where I don't see so much of that. Um, And I also love that you painted the type of persona of who walks into the store. So it really did add a lot that I didn't consider. And, you know, this is where I'm mixed about it. And I even talked to several of my friends and all of us are of color. So I think that's where we get kind of conflicted about anthropology. And so I don't mean to make you the company spokesperson. I am, you know, so I'm just sharing why, you know, I have mixed feelings about it is it on one hand, I love that you can go in and it celebrates global design. I'm totally with you. Like when I buy something from anthropology, it feels more me to bring it back home and see it in my home. The Mm -hmm. one thing I wonder is that because a lot of the time, so many, I I feel like there's a game I could play of it's made in the Philippines or India and Pakistan. And are those people getting the credit? Is it fair trade? Why is, you know, the same thing that I could get in India for $10, you know, maybe 160 here, right? So that's where I get a little bit like, is that money going back to the country? Like, are we giving the proper credit? Um, 
and I that's where I think it gets into the territory for me of like, are we appropriating like, you know, for the sake of American fashion? So I'm just curious, like personally, not as like the spokesperson again for the company, like how would you respond to that or think about that opinion? No, I I agree with you 100%. And like you said, just coming back to just fashion and not just, you know, anthropology or Macy's or Nordstrom's or wherever, you know, even the bigger designers. I mean, forget about like the smaller boutiques, you know, even going back to, you know, going to, um, you know, Burberry or Dries Van Norton or, you know, there was this few of them that have spoken about how they got the embroidery done in India or how they use the fabric from India. But most of these designers, like even the very high end designers, you know, the fabric is, might be, uh, you know, the pattern might be cut in um, Italy and then they send it um to China, maybe to um, uh, get it stitched. And then maybe it goes to India to, um, you know, get it uh, embroidered. And then maybe it comes back uh, to Paris and then it gets uh, a stamp of made in Paris or, you know. Uh, So uh, I think um, the more I read about um, um, it, uh, I mean, the more I read about fashion and um, how it's made, I mean, yes, there's a lot of that, but um, at my, um, oh, uh, you know, at my humble <laughs> level, um, when I am trying to sell something, and if I know a story, and if there is a story behind it, and that's where, you know, um, um, when you talk about personal style, it's again a lot to do with your personal beliefs. You know, yeah. do you want sustainable fashion, or do you want fast fashion, and um, yeah, you know, sustainable fashion always has a story and whether it's made in LA or whether it's made in India or made in China or made in Guatemala, if there is a story, I always like to tell my customer um, uh, the story. And, you know, I am all when it comes for equality and representation in everything I do. And I push up against unspoken cultural biases and norms that every opportunity I get. And, you know, fashion, I've seen it has a bad habit of making very surface level changes. It's not about, um, you know, adding um, black and brown models. You know, people don't think about the factory workers who are honestly almost always people of color and how meaningful it would be to make something, maybe even a magazine um you know, like these ads and editorial, beautiful, um, that is also empowering, you know, to maybe talk about one of those workers. Um, I think that would be a brilliant idea. Totally. Uh, yes. I completely agree. And I actually, right? I really appreciate your take on this because I think it is both. Yes. It recognizes the shortcomings of this whole situation and system, but also acknowledges, you know, kind of like your role, where you play in it. And um, I I think that's something where I'm like anthropology, I'm like, and companies like them, where it's like a yeah. missed opportunity, actually, to lean more into the fact that it is a very global connected system and being able to yeah. even show the story of where the fabric starts to where it ends up. Cause to your point, that's where I get a little frustrated and my um, future sister-in-law and I have a lot of conversations about this. Um, and we have like very fun, healthy debates about like, 
fashion. She's a stylist as well. So um, and her style is very French. So she's French. Um, she immigrated from there um, quite oh. recently. So and we were talking about Bohemian, the concept of mm-hmm. Bohemian. And for me, I was like, you know, for Bohemian can get a little problematic when you take things from anything that's ethnic and you're like, this is Bohemian. And sometimes I feel like that's not Bohemian. That's just my Indian culture. Like we're not trying to be boho by wearing a kurta. The word <laughs> bohemia does come from France. Right. You know, yes. But, and also going back to even our Indian designers, I'm not just saying this is happening in the Western world. Even a lot of our Indian designers, I mean, there were de- um, when I was growing up, you know, when I was 17 or 18, you, you know, you could still go to, let's say, Hoskast Village in India, in New Delhi, where, you know, you have all the little boutiques and um, the, uh, you know, the kind of at that time we would call them as like, you know, refer to them as the indie designers. And, you know, that's what they had done. They had like plundered all these tiny little villages or kasbas, as we would call them in India, and had gotten, you know, all the stuff from these people for pennies to a dollar. And, you know, they were selling it for thousands and thousands of rupees. So I'm not saying, you know, I mean, everybody has done this. You know, they were exploiting them as well. And uh, I mean... I have so many people reaching out to me too, you know, saying, oh, you you know, we'd like to um, um, uh, put our stuff in anthropology or, and I'm like, look here, I'm not a buyer. I just am one of the thousands and thousands of employees. I can't help you there, but I can certainly, you know, give you the number of a corporate office and, you know, you can go from there. But it's like, uh, it's just the way... uh, it's so sad. I mean, yeah, it really uh, that's, is. That's why it's like the little, um, you know, the new generation. They are the ones that are opening the little co-ops. Like my niece, you know, she's she has uh, a website called House of Hindi where she. Um, has set up a little co-op that has employed six women and she makes blankets and throws, you know, with just using all sustainable material like wool from the sheep um, that is grazing on the hip. Yeah. In fact, you know, one of the day we should have her on this podcast and she's going to tell you all about the process and how, you know, this wool is made and they're still using the spinning wheel, the charka and, uh, you know, using... um, um, the natural dyes and um, 100% natural and no electricity is being used. And she is um, a prime example that is wanting to make a change in the world because she studied fashion in Milan, you know, went to school in Boston, um, but then went back to India. Yeah. Yes. You're right. I think there's, and that's such impressive work. I think it's, um, yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear more about her story. And I think our generation and even more so like Gen Z, like I think we're starting to see, and I'm not saying it's exclusive to us, like people in my mother's generation, like they're also very responsible about where is this coming from? Like, what am I, you know, um, even Emma Watson, I think there was a quote I was reading recently of like, you know, the consumer does have so much power. Like we think 
that we're just one, you know, person. And the choices we make, though, about who we consume from, what where our money is going is so powerful. And that's why even when we talk about like, you know, last year, people kept going, you know, black, support black businesses. And you're like, it does make a difference. Put your dollars towards, right. you know, people that can then grow their wealth. Um, and I think that's why going back to the bohemian piece, like when, mm-hmm. you know, you said even it's a French term, like to me, in the end of the day, like it seems convenient to them because it's still like when we see people take things from other countries, especially Mm -hmm. people of color and then sell them, you know, knowing that we live in a world governed by white supremacy, like I think it's just hard to ignore the fact that like the profit is being made though by people who are already in positions of power and authority and wealth. And so I think that's where that inequity comes clearer when you're like, well, Uh this is like 10 cents for me to buy in India in like a village market. And now here I'm buying it for so much. Right. So um, I think there is a bit of responsibility that we're both getting at. Um, And so I'm, you know, like when it comes to anthropology, how do you, you know, you mentioned like, you know, I'm an employee there, like in the end of the day, like you can talk to corporate, you know, when people reach out and stuff, but in what you can control, how do you use your identity and voice to reflect inclusion and representation? Well, like I said, um, I always like to tell a story behind anything that's, um, you know, people are just drawn to our culture and people are drawn to other ethnicities and people and just um, me being there, you know, somehow it always um, in the conversation, it always comes up. Oh, my God, you probably come from a world that has so much history, you know, that we we don't have any history here. And um, and um, I mean, like. Like I said, I am I am just so so proud, and um, you know it's like like you said about the textiles, for example, you know the cottons, like Madras check. Okay, um, they might call it a picnic check, or um, uh, like I anytime I pick up a pair of shorts, I'd be like, you know, this is the Madras check and i'll talk about the textile about our traditional hand looms and handicraft techniques like i'm i'm familiar with the ikat like right now we have so much ikat in the store because i you know i grew up with that that Hmm. um those techniques and handicraft oh gosh how do i describe that it's just like a zigzag pattern oh it's um it's i k k a t Okay. So it's a weave. Ah, got it. Yeah. So it's the way it's woven and how long it takes to weave that fabric. And these, um, so they are a part of my pride and heritage and which is so unique. So at the end of the day, I feel the more diversity any industry has, the more voices it can nurture, um, you know, making... Uh, mm, And I'm all about making changes towards being inclusive and uh, respecting all points of view equally at the same time. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that because I think that's something that when I did knowing, you know, even though I was pretty aggressive about like these are my kind of controversial feelings about anthropology, when I heard that you worked there, I was actually really relieved like that there is representation from the stylist perspective. And as many people know, I think having someone in the room that can identify and not just other people making decisions for folks 
is so important. So I was just really happy to see like, oh, there are, you know, stylists who look like me or, you know, and there are others that, you know, will be able to bring that diversity. So that collective voice is more inclusive. And I know when you and I talked, we covered the fact that this isn't just about you being South Asian and a woman. It's also the intersectionality of being 54, which you, I know, oh, you know, the article goodness. that you yeah. mentioned, um, yes. I loved the headline. It was so straightforward. Yeah. I am a 54 year old stylist and this is what I wear, you know, the eight pieces. Yeah. And to you, why is that so important to call out your age? Oh my God. So now that is very, very important for me because I feel representation and inclusion and whether it's culture, whether it's size and for me right now, age in fashion has always been a priority for me uh, before I had the language to express it. So whether it was culture, you know, maybe 10 years back, you know, at one time I was maybe 20 pounds heavier. So, you know, it was size and Lately, especially during uh, the pandemic, when I was home, um, you know, just sitting (laughs) with myself, um, it just confused me that every time I opened Instagram, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. You know, everybody was like prancing around, you know, in their Jimmy Choo's, um, (laughs) you know, 30 year olds living, um, you know, their life and as they should be. But I'm like, where am I? Like, because, you know, it's just women, once they hit 40, they start to feel invisible. They feel they don't matter. Like they are just screaming into the void. And I was like, you know, give me the megaphone (laughs) and I am going to stop this. So the whole reason I started doing Instagram was because I wanted to offer women kind of a mirror of sorts by which to see themselves to the point where they feel that they still have a lot of choices, that we still have a lot of choices on how to live our best lives. And I thought maybe I could help inspire them through my style. And that's why when Bobby, um, he's the senior um, you know, editor for Who, What, Where, I was like, I want to talk about my age. Yeah. Because all these women that are feeling invisible or feel discarded and, you know, just that they do not matter. I, I'm here to remind them that we are neither one of those things. And there is a big group of us who refuse to be those things. I am so obsessed <laughs> with that answer. If I yes. could just like cut that out and replay it in my head, like every morning to remember, because what you described, first of all, I just think that's so powerful and courageous to say, you know, I'm not seeing this, I'm going to create it myself. And I think there is something that like, I'm noticing more and more South Asians. And to your point, irregardless of age, they're feeling that like, I don't see it, I'm going to create it now. And platforms like Instagram allow a lot of that luxury of being able to do that, right? You don't have to wait for someone to hire you or give you that microphone, You, you could create your microphone and start using it. And so yeah, I love that. And then the other piece is while I'm 30 years old, I'm about to turn 31 um, yeah. in a couple of weeks, but I loved your page. And I think that's something to showcase too, is that I think it's so valuable that you've created a platform where people similar to your age can connect, but also 
I think it brings together different age groups and it celebrates fashion in a way like your style is what I aspire, right? Like I, I told you, I think, right, jokingly, yeah. I'm like, I want to be like the oh, they see Diane you. Keaton. <laughs> and I look to your outfits to get inspiration of how can I bring that like masculine feminine, you know, right. into like making that sexy and like comfortable. And um, it also allows you to see age. One thing that I've noticed in my upbringing is that like in our family, at least our elders tend to like, and I'm saying elders like forties, right? Like at the end of forties, 50, they're sort of like, I'm done. You know, I don't wear cool clothes. I just dressed at home. Like that's how I've grown up with my grandparents. And I just saw that life kind of stopped at 50 and I need models to see what does life look like, you know, outside of like, cause I don't want to do that. And I appreciate like when we bring attention to age in a respectful way, right? Like you're not, you're, you're claiming it yourself and like, but, um, it's, it's exciting because I want to see what fabulous 50 plus women are doing who are South Asian and how we're living our lives in America, because I haven't seen that. I, you know, we genuinely have not seen that modeled as first generation immigrants. Not at all. And even, I mean, even over here or just across the board, like I think 10 years back, women were hiding their age. They were not talking about age. You know, nobody was talking about uh, menopause. But look at how many people are now talking about that. I mean, you know, every time I go on Instagram, I mean, there's an IGTV live going on somewhere where women are like, you know, come on, like, don't be ashamed. I mean, there's no longer any stigma that's attached to, um, you know, turning 50, 60, 70. I mean, do what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Because the more we can destigmatize totally. it, the more that we can not only embrace it, but, you know, this is often talked about even in Hollywood, where women after a certain age, a very young age compared to men get kind of discarded. Right. And being able to celebrate the beauty, the lives, the identities beyond just 35, honestly, like would be so wonderful. Because again, we rarely see we see associations that are very negative spinster, someone who shouldn't be partying or living their life, right? Like how many people have we heard in our Indian communities? Like, Oh, they're like an auntie, but they go out and party. Like, oh, oh my you know, god! Like, you know, you're like, oh my god, let her live. <laughs> uh, totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, and and yeah, and then on the flip side, you know, um, also the part of the problem is that everybody um, is envying other people, and it's the social media thing. You know, yeah, it, it's like we forget that they've altered that picture. They're using a filter. They've got tons of fillers in, and we are losing sight of what it means to be human. Absolutely. So for me, fashion is not about hiding, but you know, revealing that awesomeness within. And there's so much wisdom that you know we have, and then our elders have, just by you know, spending time on this earth. I mean, why are we not embracing that? I love that. Yeah, that's right. That's such a true point. Yeah. And how, what has your platform meant to others? Like, have you had any folks reach out and talk about their, uh, you know, what's the, what has the response essentially been? Oh, all the time, all the time. Uh, I mean, 
um, I get one, uh, one or two or three. I mean, of course, now with the article yesterday, you know, my phone's like on fire. Oh, hey. But, um, the Instagram, <laughs> you know, oh my gosh. But even if I get one woman a day who said, you know, Roz, you inspire me. And she's like in the 50s, 60s, 70s. My day is made. I don't care if there's like 100 likes or 500 likes or 1,000 likes. I, that's what makes my day. When a woman walks into anthropology and says, you know what, Roz, you are such an inspiration. <laughs> and they go for us vintage women. I mean, I chuckle, but I'm like, live it up, girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm always, even like my attitude. I mean, who wants a person that's like, you know, like a sour face? I mean, we all have our problems and that's why, like I said, like anthropology is a happy place. I always tell people, I'm like, just you're here, live in the moment. And if anything, the pandemic has taught us is like, just live it up and just live in the moment. Yeah, no, definitely. Totally, I think that, yeah, yeah I, I not only love that you created this, but clearly it is very meaningful. And yeah. and I'm, I'm so glad that you're also getting the response that you deserve, to be honest. Is there any criticism that you receive, whether through Instagram or, you know, word of mouth, like in your community, when, especially when you look about the differences with Daisies versus Americans, how they respond to your content and philosophy? Well, I'll be really honest. If there is some criticism, it I haven't heard it as yet. I mean, I know there are trolls and this and that. Maybe I'm not that famous yet. Like Oprah <laughs> says, you know, you're famous when you get all these nasty comments and all that. But so far, I mean, Honestly, everything I'm trying to do is very authentic. It's coming from my heart. It's not like I'm just having fun. It's yeah. just so simple and so pure. And so it has nothing to do with like go by this or go by that. Or, you know, sometimes, I mean, I borrow stuff from my friends who have all these like the luggage. You know, my friend has this um, all this, she had all this vintage Louis Vuitton luggage laying around and, you know, this, her husband has this flashy Tesla and, you know, we did a photo shoot right there. I mean, I just had fun. It's not like I'm going to go and now, you know, buy all this stupid, you know, shit. It's just, yeah. I mean, but, you know, have fun, live in the moment. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I've noticed that too, that you don't push you know, like now get 15% off yeah, from this or whatever. I mean, <laughs> totally. I don't want to sound salesy. Well, honestly, I wear so much anthropology. I could easily be every, make every post like go, you know, swipe up, do this, do that. And I'm like, you know what? But my, my goal, my, my focus is positive aging. Yeah. It isn't to sell something. I love but, that you recognize yes. your intentionality with the page yes. and like you're very much aligned yes. with the mission that you started out with. Totally. It's it's a very simple mission. It's it's really simple, guys. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think and maybe that's why people also have not yet, you know, you talked about not having trolls and stuff. Like I think it's very clear what you're there to create and the people who come are coming for that. There's not another kind of gain to it. So, you know, it's kudos to you for creating a positive space. Um, not to say that there aren't people, you know, who are out there like that, but um, I think it's wonderful that you've been able to 
do this in a way that has also preserved the integrity. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And so do you ever feel imposter syndrome or self-doubt? And especially maybe this has changed for you over the years, but like, how would you advise younger folks to master this and gain more confidence? I think especially when our community gets involved in industries like fashion and things that we haven't often seen modeled as well, there's a sense of like, how can I build that self-esteem in this space? So for you, how have you dealt with these insecurities or self-doubt? And what would you advise to others? Yeah. Okay. So these are two questions. So as far as the imposter syndrome or self-doubt, I mean, all the time. Um, I mean, you asked me for a podcast and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking here in my head, um, you know, am I the best person to be doing this? (laughs) I mean, what would anybody care what I have to say? I mean, it's not like I've written a book or something or, you know, what will people think I'm a fraud? Um, You know, and... But then when I start to notice that line of thinking, I just try to simplify things in my head. Um, You know, um, just uh, I try um, trying to talk myself um, into moving forward. I just ask myself, you know, mostly this one simple question, and that is, do I have something to offer that will resonate with or help other people. And that's the question, you know, I ask myself every day when I put a post on Instagram, or now I'm talking to you. And, um, you know, and then the answer always is uh, the same for me, which is, yes, uh, Lahari wants to talk to me because I have something to offer because you want to serve, um, like you want to build relationships because you are working from your heart and offering um, is such a pure, a pure connection. Mm-hmm. So that's the mindset, you know, I come from, but oh my God, like the first instances, like, of course, there's self-doubt and of course, there's the imposter syndrome, but um, uh, <laughs> I try to talk myself out of it. Um, And like I said, um, because when you're working from your heart and your offering is pure and you're authentic and, uh, you know, then you have to put everything else um, to the sidelines. That resonates a lot. And I think it's interesting how when we think about ourselves, we talk like this, but then if someone else hears that, they're like, are you kidding me? You know, I was like, because I was surprised that you wanted to talk to me. Right. And so like Mm -hmm. I was going through that on the other end. And it's it's just funny that we live in this kind of cycle in our own bubble. But then when you talk to someone else, they're like, you crazy girl, like you're amazing. And so um, but it is really it cannot be undermined that to the point you're making of like when we feel that way to really think about what we're trying to do with that work. And um, hopefully people that I I feel like there might be more closeted people who are not able to come out and put their work forward because of their insecurities or self-talk. And hopefully something like that, where, you know, your piece of advice can help bring out more creatives and, you know, thought leaders and whoever's out there that has more of this magic in their own space. Yes. And then talking about, you know, gaining confidence to um, to younger folks. And um, I always tell them, you know, it's wonderful to be passionate and that you have a dream, but start by working for somebody you respect. 
anybody really mm-hmm. and get and get paid to learn there is a learning curve not only in what you know but in how you behave and if you don't educate yourself first you really can break rules right. um, you know you have to learn what came before so that you know a you're not really that inventive and b which rules you want to break mm-hmm. then keep your head down don't get involved in politics be respectful be grateful <laughs> that you have the job do your job and most of all you know be available at all times which i see is not a trait <laughs> that a lot of young people have today so you know work 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 <laughs> that's how you have um that, i mean that's what you have to do yeah um to get started yes yeah that's a very fair perspective last but not least i kind of wanted to get into some fun questions in terms of what are some hacks like given what you know about styling and this wealth of knowledge what are some of the hacks that you have that would change our lives if we knew you know i know that's honestly <laughs> there are no hacks i mean i get that question a lot when people ask me oh you know can you tell me about the five things a woman should have in a closet you know honestly I I would love to say a pair of jeans, a trench coat, a white tee, but with this pandemic, <laughs> I don't know your lifestyle. If you are sitting, you know, on a Zoom call or not even on a Zoom call all day, who am I to tell you that go buy a Burberry trench coat or even a trench coat from, you know, Uniqlo? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when it comes to personal style to me personal style is all about personal power and that it comes to self awareness and self acceptance you don't get anywhere in your style if you don't know who it is you're trying to dress the truest the most authentic version of yourself and once you're in alignment with that then style comes quite easily and that to me is going deep and helping women go deep so to me that is a style hack know who you are and just go deep oh that is beautiful i adore that that is so true because a lot of the times and i think to me that's like that's a true stylist right there because like it is not about conforming to something else right like a lot of those things i would read and not not all of them apply to me and other people will read the same list it might apply and similarly might not apply and so why are we trying to be this one standard when we could create our own um and that that is something that i really actually appreciate like being a millennial seeing the gen z style i was like wow it seems like everything is in now like every decade and in a way it's kind of great because yeah. you can choose and pick what you want and i think that's where the beauty is coming it's interesting to people watch. I you know you and I were talking about my New York trip um a few weeks yeah. ago and I was like wow I have seen every decade in my face right now every style and it is awesome like it is so inspiring. Right. Um, so I'm with you. And you know gone are the days of how to you know how to wear a shirt like 10 different ways or how to wear and now <laughs> with the me too moment it's like you know I'm going to 
follow you because I like your style. And that's what I do with a lot of Instagram accounts I follow. Not not just style. For me, it's more about wisdom or, you know, anything that resonates um, with my vibration and, you know, where my vibration frequency or... But um, that's what it's all about. I mean, if you're going to show me a picture of Gigi Hadid and, you know, I can make you look like her. You know, it's like... She's six feet tall. And yes, we all need our muses. And we all, but we also, at the end of the day, we also need to take a deep dive into who we are. And maybe you can wear the shoes she's wearing. Um, you know, you can take little nuggets from her style and she can be your inspiration. But if you are thinking that at the end of the day, <laughs> That buying, um, you know, that $3,000 dress, you will look like her. That's not going to happen. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Yeah. And I think I that's where I really appreciate your point of view of like, yeah. know who you are first, and then that will dictate what you wear. And right. I think that's also where it's like one day you could be feeling punky and edgy. One yes. day you could be feeling super soft and like, I want to like run around in a meadow with a flowy yes. skirt. So uh. it has to fit your mood, which I think, again, like going back full circle, that's what you started off with is like, I style myself based on my mood. Um, if Correct me if I'm wrong. No, yes. Like I said, and that's what I style women every day, all day in the store too. Because, you know, like you said, there's the... Yeah, soft and delicate and the boho chic and there are some that just say you know I just want a graphic tee because I'm a mom that just lives in jeans all day long mm -hmm. and then there are women that will come in and they say you know what I I just like my button downs my cloth and stone button downs and uh, you know with a black pair of trousers and um, uh, that's my identity and uh, yeah, as a stylist, um, I do that all day long, you know, sh shifting gears. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Would you ever do your own thing? Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, um, you know, but I am doing my own thing. I mm -hmm. feel like this is and I that's why I love Instagram so much. I am doing my own thing. That's I'm fair. styling the way I want. And that's why when a lot of people reach out to me, too, as much as I want to help women owned businesses and startups, sometimes that can, you know, um, that that might not be my style or mm -hmm. might not speak to me. Not that I don't love it or I don't appreciate it. And, uh, and that's why I don't, um, you know, fall into that trap where, um, it, okay, you know, you'll send me something and I'll put it on and I'll take a picture. But even if I don't believe in, you know, in it or uh, it's not my style. So, uh, that's why I like to do what I do. And, um, and yes, I am helping my niece uh, with her project, the house of Hindi, where she's doing the blankets and the throws and home furnishings. And, um, um, no, I think I'm, I'm in a good, good space and I'm just following my breadcrumbs. I, you know, I'm open wherever this journey takes me. But if you're going to ask me, oh yeah, am I am I working on a line of clothing or no? Styling is my passion, whether it comes to home, um, whether it comes to food, whether it comes to um, clothing, you know, when I'm in that um, 
space of creating beauty, I mean, that's when that's my happy place. <sighs> Wonderful. <laughs> As you know, Down to Brown is about taking the tension between American assimilation and South Asian identity and stigma and kind of finding that happy, what does this mean to me balance and freeing yeah. ourselves of that tension. So what, how have you done this? And as someone who has gone through this experience and came to a really secure place, what advice would you have for others who are toggling with this? It's another two question thing. Yeah, you know, and again, um, going back to, you know, when I was much younger, um, I was in that headspace. So, you know, I know everything that, you know, I don't want to work with anybody. I mean, I had all these opinions about people, not even knowing people. Um, but that's <laughs> yeah. when you're young, you think you know it all and you do it all. And then, you know, you're burnt out because you think you know it all and you're such a perfectionist. Uh, but as you get older, and especially now, I'm like, I no longer want to work with anybody who's not smarter than me or knows way more than I know because I want to learn. And just going back to, you know, when I think back and after nearly, you know, decades of struggling um, to emulate a leadership style that hasn't suited me, mm -hmm. it's clear that all my work wins were rooted in, you know, humility, graciousness, mm. groundedness, instinct, honesty, creativity, and above all, whenever I was a team player, you know, um, teamwork, dream work, I'm a big proposer of that. I really appreciate that. That is actually very, very helpful. <laughs> um, I am like all kinds of inspired. Yes. And listening to the inner voice that's guiding you forward. And, you know, and also knowing that setting boundaries and walking away from toxic situations, you know, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and open hearted, speaking your opinions honestly in a healthy way and making decisions that align with your values and your beliefs. But, you know, a lot of this just comes with age. Mm. So, um, but then how I did uh, start my answer was like, you know, when I tried to be the opposite, it just did not work for me. I just came mm. across as somebody mean and, you know, just yeah miss know it all and that yeah. just does not work yeah no that's so true I, I really appreciate that that's really really valuable to remember mm. I'm hearing a theme of like just being yourself and taking yes. the time to learn who you are in order for that to inform then how you approach others how you live your life how you style yourself everything and so when we do all these things it's making me realize like impulsively like getting new clothes or something like I'm not solving the actual problem which is work on yourself and so now we're here to the chip chip round at that stage so as I mentioned the chip chip round is supposed to be fun rapid fire but I reserve the right to dig into the answer if it's intriguing um yes. and so I will shoot a question your way and then if you can respond to the, with the first thing that hits you let me know Mm -hmm. So, number one, 9 a.m. or 9 p.m.? Oh, 9 a.m. Oh, yes. So, morning person. Oh. 
the most exciting shoot you've helped with in your career? The one I just did, um, you know, uh, where um, uh, the fusion shoot. Oh, yes. yes. It sounded with amazing. My Indian accessories and um, um, clothing, uh, but um, having the American models wear it. Yes, I can see that. Um, what is your favorite quality about yourself? I'm kind and compassionate and I like to listen (laughs) yeah yeah you know that's what people have to say I'm a good listener I can attest to that a time travel machine allows you to go on a wine night with your 18 year old self what would you tell her you know have fun I mean just uh, cherish the moments, live in the moment. Like when you're younger, you're always thinking, what's next? Only if I had this or only if I had that or only, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, live in the moment. It's it's now. You have everything now. Look at us. We're having yeah. such a fun conversation. I mean, what more do you want? Life is so simple, guys. I tell all my friends. It's just like good friends, a lovely conversation, good food and nature. That's all you need. Oh, that takes the pressure off so much. Right? Like, what a fun conversation are we having? Yeah. And like, we're we're pretending we're having chai, good yes. food, you know, where I can look out my window right now and, you know, I can see like this, um, this, um, all these beautiful trees blowing in the wind and I'm having such a fun conversation. I mean, I don't want anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. This is it. One must learn life lessons from you, Roz. This oh, is no. amazing. <laughs> this has been such an incredible oh. conversation. And I have, I feel like so introspective, like spiritually and philosophically about life now. <laughs> You've oh. given me a lot to think about and I'm sure you will give others the same. So um, you can tell your imposter syndrome voice like, uh, nah, bitch. <laughs> this, I was super helpful to people today and you were quite the expert in all of the things that you said. So thank you.